Hey, how are you? This is Scott Bryant Comstock, optimistic advocate, and oh boy, we have a special interview uh, with Dr. Robert Franks, Bob Franks, who is the president and chief executive officer of the Judge Baker Children's Center uh, and a faculty member at Harvard Medical School. Basically, Bob's the real deal, guys. He is the real deal. A little bit more of his bio. Dr. Franks is a leader in the implementation and dissemination of evidence-based practices in children's mental health. And that's where he first came across my radar screen with his excellent work and uh, also his involvement with the Tampa Conference, a research conference that we were very pleased to be co-hosts of for about 12 years. Bob uh, has a master's degree from George Washington University and a PhD from Boston College. Completed his clinical training and doctoral fellowship in child psychology at Yale University Child Study Center and uh, served on the faculties of the Yale University School of Medicine, University of Connecticut Health Center, and the Duke University Medical Center. Bob's a great guy. Bob is one of those really, really smart psychologists who blends an academic career uh, with a clinical practice. And uh, the work that the Judge Baker Center does is, is extraordinary. I've asked Bob to join us today on the Optimistic Advocate podcast to talk about his new book. It's called Be a Better Parent, 10 Strategies for Being the Best You Can Be. Uh, it's a delightful interview. And I think you're going to enjoy it. So let's get to it. Such a pleasure to have you here. And we're here. God, there's so many things we could talk about, but we're talking about your book <laughs> called Be a Better Parent, 10 Strategies for Being the Best You Can Be for Your Child. Where were you 30 years ago when I, you know, or 35 <laughs> years ago? How old am I? God, my kids are older than dirt. Jesus, Lord. So we're here to talk about your book, but uh, first things first, this is critical. Okay. Yeah. This, this, this is probably more important than anything we talk about today. Now, for our listeners, Bob has twins. I am the grandfather of twins. Ah. When I mentioned to my daughter that I was going to interview you, you know, a month ago or so, now my twin grandbabies had their first birthday this past Saturday, right? Yes. So her question was not, how can I be a better parent? Her question was not, can you ask Bob, you know, can I have free therapy? Nope, that wasn't, <laughs> none, none of those were her, her. Her first question was, when we bring out the birthday cake, whose name goes first? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I actually have a very concrete suggestion for that. And it's something we've always held to. Which is? Even at their first birthday two cakes they deserve their own cake <laughs> okay no no, no. i'm not gonna let you off the hook because they got two cakes no 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 we're digging deep but you're coming out right and you start singing everybody starts to happy and they we got two cakes happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday dear what do you do we do it alphabetically <laughs> <laughs> Very practical. 
So in other words, one of your sons who's named, uh, I don't know, uh, Xavier, uh, he's out of luck, right? He's always, yes. Yeah. And, every, and then sometimes we'll mix it up just to, you know, give him a little, a little boost. So I, I just have to tell you, it was the most hilarious conversation because we're all going back and forth. And she says, you got to ask him this because, you know, we're like, do we switch years? Do we? <laughs> you could switch years. You know, you know, what's really funny, though, about that question and what's implicit in that question, being a parent of twins, is this constant challenge of, you know, wanting to honor their own experience, yet recognize that they're sharing everything. And that's that's a challenge. You know, oh, that'll be maybe that's going to be my next book. I think it needs to be your next book. <laughs> parents of and, and forget the parents of twins. This is really for the grandparents of twins. Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, that's delightful. All right, Bob. So I read your book and and uh, uh, and folks will have a link to it in the show notes. And I have to tell you. I think what was most impactful for me was the love for your sons, the love for your family. It just oozes out. And it was so interesting because, okay, there's lots of books by lots of psychologists, right? You know, on what you can do. And this book, as you, as you very clearly stated, it's, it, it is for the worried well, as you describe it. it and, 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 and so many of us fit in that category, right? But, I, I just got to tell you that for me, what drove the conversation on the pages was this just overwhelming love and appreciation for your family. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's hard for people to capture. And yet somehow you did. So I guess, you know, my first question to you is, is that accurate? I mean, what? <laughs> It, it, it's like when you said, when you said, I want to write this book and I read what you say in the book about why you did it, but I want to hear you talk about it. What, 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 what was it about your experience, your twins, your history, you know, the challenges you and your wife went through? What, what led to this? Yeah. You know, first of all, I'm so happy that that came through um, in the book because I think for me, it, it really was sort of a work of love. That's sort of where it came from. If I had to do this for like university tenure or something, I probably wouldn't have been as motivated. Being a parent for me has been something that, as I say in the book, is something that we kind of had to work pretty hard at. It didn't come easily. I remember uh, a story I didn't share in the book was being in the hospital at one point when we were going through some of our challenges and difficulties and I was, you know, leaving um, the hospital and coming down in the elevator and there was a woman holding this beautiful little infant in the elevator with me. And I looked over and I said, that's such a, a beautiful baby. Is that your first? And she said, no, it's my fourth. And I remember thinking at that moment, feeling very overwhelmed that we had gone through years of trying to have a family and all the challenges associated with that and all the loss associated with that. And I couldn't help but think I was overwhelmed by this beautiful little baby, but also had this feeling of like, why is this something that is so easy for some people and so difficult for others? Mm -hmm. But I think like many things in life, when we finally found our own path to parenthood, when we finally figured out how we were going to do that and how we were going to create a family, it just made meant so much to us. My, and I'm going to try not to cry during this interview, but this does bring up a lot of emotions for me. 
I've loved every second of being my son's dad. I mean, it hasn't been easy. There've been lots of seconds that have been challenging, but from the moment that I held this little baby in my arms and I often tell my son, you know, once again, it's kind of like the birthday cake story. There were two babies. My wife got one, I got one. And so I was holding my son and he started to cry a little bit. And I looked at him and I said, don't cry. I'm your daddy and I'm going to be your daddy forever. And those are the first words that I spoke oh, to him. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and I, I always tell him that story. And I always say, which is true, how he sort of quieted down and snuggled in at that point. And I think that many parents approach their, their parenthood with, through the lens of love. But I think for me, having worked with kids, having had a career that involved kids, having just been someone throughout my whole life who always looked forward to and imagined being a father. I think when I finally got the chance to be one, it was something that I kind of threw my whole self, body, and soul into. And you know, now that I have a couple of teenagers running around the house, that's all being tested. But that was part of it. You know, As they're kind of, I'm getting ready to see them off into the world as they're going to be going to college next year. Yeah. And I felt like it was time. It was time to sort of pull together some of my own experience, my professional experiences, and and try to get some of that down and pull it together in the form of a book. So that that was the product. I'm going to stick with this just a little bit longer because I want to see you cry. And, uh, and <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, so here's, here's the thing about, for me, reading the book, what came through is that the anchor was not for me so much the the 10 strategies the anchor was this was the unconditional love that just kind of comes through and and so I can you just if you're willing to can you talk about I mean did you sit down with your family and say okay I'm going to do this and can you talk about what that conversation was like you know it's interesting like many families and you know, obviously, I used my some personal examples, and I shared some personal things. And I, of course, had to talk to my wife about that, and that was something that you know. And I was careful about how I wrote about some things, you know, being trying to be mindful and respectful of her privacy and our family's privacy, and using some stories from my kids. If they read it, they'll know what I'm talking about. But I tried not to make it too specific. But one of the things that I think works both ways is. My sons are incredibly supportive of me and my work and my career. And I remember when I took the job that I'm in now, and I've been in this job for about seven years, and we were living in Connecticut prior to that, which you know, and I and my sons were in middle school and they were tough time, you know, to think about moving. And I remember having gone through this process of being recruited for this job, wasn't really looking for it, and then had to move to a different state. I remember coming in and saying to my sons, I want to tell you about this opportunity I have and, you know, it would mean us moving. And, and I remember there was like a pause. And then one of my sons, who's incredibly sensitive and interestingly interested in potentially studying psychology in college, looked at me and said, dad, if this is what's best for you, it's what's best for all of us and we'll support you in it. And that, that spirit is the same spirit that they supported me while I was doing uh, this, this work as well. So it works both ways. So I, wanna, I want you to talk about pride. And, and here's what I mean by that. 
you just get the sense in the book that your kids are really proud of you. And as a parent, I have three kids. And and it's one of those things that I know is important to me is, is that my kids are proud of me. What what's the chemistry? What's the magic? What 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 needs to happen to to generate those feelings of pride? Because it comes out in your book, it comes out that you're it's like your whole family seems to be proud of each other, which is pretty freaking beautiful. Oh, thank you. You know, I, I will say that like along with every other sort of neurotic, insecure person that ends up becoming a psychologist, I always feel like I'm not going to measure up. And yeah. I'm, of course, a flawed person. I'm, of course, I, I was actually just talking about this, even in terms of my kids going to college. Like, wait till they find out that I'm actually this flawed human being. And I actually talk, I do talk about this a little bit in the book at one point where I'm talking about building that relationship with your kid from a very early age. And I, I, I say this as well that sometimes people will say like, oh, you know, how come you can like talk to your kids about this stuff and they come to you and you seem to like, they still have conversations with you and you you seem really close to them. And how do you, how do I do that? And sometimes it's a hard answer because one of the things you want to be able to say is, well, it needs to start like when they're toddlers, not something you can suddenly flick on when they're in high school. And that relationship builds over the years. And part of that is, really trying to create that mutual respect, trying to really listen and be present and take a real interest. You know, I talk a little bit in my book about that three things, sharing three things around the kitchen table. And that's something that we did for years. And it it's just a way to sort of practice this sort of mindfulness in your family and practice being present and truly listening to each other. So I think particularly in this world we live in now, we're so caught up running from thing to thing, taking our kids to practice, making sure the schedule is done, make, who's going to make dinner, you know, all those things that every person that raises a family worries about. Sometimes we get so caught up in that stuff that we don't take the time to just really be with each other and really honor each other and really listen to each other and hear each other's stories and share in our, our day with each other. And I think we weren't always successful, but that's what we worked really hard at doing. So, but you add on COVID and you add on school closures and you add on job stress and everybody's working at home and maybe you have a good internet connection, maybe you don't. And, you know, you, you all of these things. And, and, and what I love about this book is that you didn't finish it. What you finish it in June, I think, or something like that, right? Yeah. You, you're right. writing it during the midst of a pandemic that none of us, no, none of us, I say in our family, we always say, we say, well, we're kind of making this up as we go. You know, I mean, it's all new territory. So what do you say to parents who are in that situation? You know, you talk about making more time, but when it feels like there is no time, what, what, what would your advice to them be? Well, you know, I think in the midst of chaos of any sort, there's always opportunity. And I think the the challenges that we're all facing are incredibly real. And in my family and everyone's family, the stress and it's it's almost like the slow drip, drip, drip that just sort of slowly pushes you over the edge. It's very, very challenging. And I actually am seeing now at this point in the pandemic, it's it's peaking in some ways because you could kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's almost worse than ever. 
and people are really beginning to break at the seams. It's very, very challenging. So that's the reality of the situation. But I think also just what I was saying before, suddenly these families that were running like the hamster on the wheel, it was all suddenly put on pause. Oh my gosh, we're eating dinner together. Oh my gosh. Like we have to like say, we're not running off to practice or to see a show or to, you know, watch a a play or trying to get our kids their after school program. We're actually all in the house together. And that's hard in some ways because yeah, you know, you're trying to do your job and work from zoom and you have somebody knocking at your door or walking past your door in their, you know, underwear or whatever it might be. And I have like two dogs sitting at my feet right now that are being nice and quiet, but sometimes they aren't. So all those things, but at the same time, wow, here we are in this situation that is really this gift if we choose to see it in that way, where we can actually reconnect with our families in a way that we never have before. And as I've been talking to a lot of people, particularly through this pandemic, part of that is also recognizing that we all need space and we sometimes need a little distance and we can't have all that 24-7 together time and respecting those boundaries. All that is true as well. But in those moments, it really provides us with an opportunity to connect actually in some of the ways that I talk about, where as before, families might have said, I don't have time to think this way. I don't have time to do these things. I'm too busy to, you know, be be thoughtful about what kind of role model I am or how I'm talking or, you know, um, those kinds of things. And, and now we have a chance to do that. You talk about joy in your book. You, it, uh, it comes out a lot, actually. Talk to me about joy. And, and, and again, in the con, I'm just going to keep it in the context of today. We, we, we're in the midst of political upheaval, pandemic upheaval, economic upheaval. And yet in your book, you talk about joy. You talk about the importance of joy and, and how to find joy. Yeah. And other people use this word called mindfulness, which I think is a, a good way to describe it. It's something I think that I learned from my family growing up. And someone I didn't talk a lot about in the book, though, was my maternal grandfather, who was this incredibly important person to me. And he was an immigrant and he had a huge garden, like he had like an acre garden in his backyard and he would work in it in the summertime. And when I was a little, little boy would go and spend the day with him. And I remember him caring for each plant and, you know, showing me each tomato and how to prune and how to water and fertilize. And he cared for that garden like they were, like it was his, his children with care. And while he was doing it, he would sing or he would hum or he would tell me stories of his youth in in Eastern Europe. And I learned from some of those experiences how to really appreciate the moment, how to find joy in small things, how to that the memory of biting into a warm tomato from the garden is something that will always stay with me. And while I do love, I do plant a lot of flower gardens, I don't have a big vegetable garden like he did. I try, I've tried to create that same sense of joy in the little things with my own family, whether it's eating chocolate chip cookies or watching a silly TV show together that we all can enjoy or just sharing something funny that happened during the day. It's, 
I feel like life is really about the little things. It's about all the little experiences that we connect together. And believe me, my uh, wife or sons were, were here. They would tell you that I have my share of being grumpy and irritable. And- now, to be fair, Bob does talk about setting limits in the book <laughs> and, <laughs> and what that looks like. But but I have to tell you, my friend, that it is the finding joy, the mindfulness, that you know those elements were what really stood out for me because I think those are saving graces right now, you know, with with all that is going on. Can you talk a little bit? You devote a chapter to the power of love. Can, can you? And obviously, when we started this interview, I said it was oozing everywhere, not in a cheesy way, you know, not in a saccharine way, but in a really um, authentic way. So talk to me about that power of love. What, what do you mean by that? I think so many times, I think, as and I talk a lot about these patterns in families and what we get from our own families. And and people grow up in all different kinds of situations. And a lot of times you'll meet someone and they have had a really tough background, a really tough upbringing. And yet you find that they have this capacity for kindness and love. And not, you know, sometimes you think like, well, where does that come from? And I think that as I'm really a big believer, despite all the craziness that we see in this world right now, I really do believe that as human beings, we are fundamentally good and loving creatures. And you can be very reductionist and scientific about that and say, that's just a way for us to perpetuate our species and stay you know, alive. But irrespective of sort of where that comes from in terms of the biological drive, I think it's very real and it's something that we all can experience. And we all, even despite our own experiences and backgrounds, it's something that we can all find the capacity for and give. And it's actually free. It's something that, you know, you don't, you can't buy it and you can't necessarily get it, you know, learn it. It's something that's sort of, that you have to find within yourself. And I do talk a little bit about the love and acceptance of yourself Mm -hmm. and your limitations. So I think there's this myth that we have to be perfect parents and there's this myth that we have to be perfect human beings. That is not the point. And if anybody reads my book and hears that, then they didn't didn't get the point of what I was trying to say. Because more than anything, I think it's about accepting who you are and saying like, what do I bring to the table? What What are the things that I'm good at? And how can I share those things with my kids. And then, you know, for the things that you know you're not so good at, you try to compensate for that in some way, whether it's through your spouse or partner, whether it's through other people in the child's life, whether it's through other experiences or kind of just owning it, you know, and saying, you know what, I'm not so good at that, but I, but let's do, I, there are these other things that I'm good at. For, for all of my kids playing sports and they, their love of sports, I was not a big athlete. And I could never get out there and coach their teams like a lot of other fathers did. I didn't have the skill to do it, but I did manage their teams. I did stand on the sidelines and cheer for them. I did. I never missed a game. And so there are ways that we can bring our best self to whatever we do. And that's the kind of love that I'm talking about. It's, it's not trying to be something you're not. It's not trying to reach for some unreachable goal, but it's, it's knowing yourself and what you have to offer and offering that honestly and unconditionally to your child. And, and the, the other big piece of this, which I talk about, is this idea of by knowing yourself, then you can avoid those traps 
of using your child to work out your own stuff. And I think that's a really important thing. You know, my earlier question about pride, that's kind of like, I don't think I asked it clearly because that's what I was really getting at. And you do that really well. It's kind of like none of us are perfect, but your kids can be proud of you. I mean, it really came through for, for those things you do and the other stuff you work on, but it's not about being, we can't all be Bob Franks and Bob Franks would say, you don't want to be Bob Franks. No, (laughs) you know, you know, I think about my own dad, who's very different from me and was an amazing father in his own way. And to this day, my dad's been been gone about six years now. And my dad was like the most mechanically inclined person ever. You know, I don't think we ever had a repair person in our house for anything, whether it was the car or the washer or dryer or whatever, you know, he did it. And I had spent a lot of hours holding a flashlight for him when I was younger. It didn't rub off on me. I could do some little things, but to this day... I learned so much from who he was and what he gave to me. And even though I may not be fixing the dryer when it breaks, I apply that same approach of, while there's a problem, let me step back and look at it, not be afraid of it, and figure out what I can do to solve it. And that sensibility is, that's what I internalized. And that's what stayed with me my whole life. In the book, I, I think it's, I can't remember where it is, but but you, you talk about, you know, the fact that over your career, people would see you and, and, and you're a psychologist. So they say, oh, Bob, hey, can you give me some advice? Can you do this? And, and that this book was a part of putting a lot of that together, plus celebrating your family and your boys. But here's my question to you. How did you know when the book was done? You know, it's a really good question. And for me... Part of writing this book was really, I I say it's one little sentence in there that people may not even pick up on, but it says, you know, I try not to let perfection be the enemy of the good. And part of the challenge was for many years, I had written little things down. I had notes on my computer. You know, I had sketches of certain things written. And I felt like there's so much to say. And there was so much I wanted to say that my first outline was insane. And I, you know, I work with an editor that actually helped me with the thinking around that. And part of it was to really map out what I wanted to say for this book and, and recognizing there's a lot more I could say. You know, when I was done, I, I, was, I was joking with my wife, it's more like a thick pamphlet. <laughs> uh, because I could have written 500 pages, but I think the important thing for me was really thinking about what I wanted to say, mapping out that outline, and then, you know, really working towards that goal. And it's funny, because I use those strategies when I'm talking to other people and helping them, but sometimes we're the right, we're the worst recipients of that. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, my friend. Well, listen, we're approaching the end of our time, but I I have to add yet, got to ask you our Zoom question. Uh, if, If you could have a Zoom call with anyone, living, dead, fictional, who would it be and why? Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's not fair, Scott. I know. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. Wow. That is really, really difficult. Oh my gosh. You know, it's interesting. The first person that came to my mind was someone like Leonardo da Vinci because he was this incredible thinker and inventor and thinking about how he thought. 
But I think given what we're going through in our country right now and looking at the challenges that we're facing, it would be really interesting at this point in time to be able to go back to some of the original folks who founded this country and to be able to really have a conversation with them about what their vision was and 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 understand because we in retrospect there's so much conjecture about we meant by the constitution whether it was meant to be a living document or not and and what we when we look at, at how some of the amendments should be interpreted and when we look at what's happened in terms of the branches of power when we look at what's happened with this two-party system. I'd be very curious to have that conversation right now about what the vision was for this nation and how we've lived up to that or not. Uh, That is a powerful answer. Beautiful answer. Beautiful answer. Bob Franks, uh, the book is Be a Better Parent, 10 Strategies for Being the Best You Can Be for Your Child. And, And folks, for the past 30 minutes, it's clear that this man not only practices what he preaches, but just infuses a sense of love and and joy into his work and uh, into the things he produces. And this is one thing that I really think you will find useful. A delightful book, really a joy. And you didn't help me at all with my twins question. So, you know, <laughs> it was a pleasure, Bob. Thank you so much. Thank you, much. Scott. It was wonderful. All right. Thank all you. All right, my friend, be well. Thank you. You too. Oh my, what I tell you folks, Bob Franks, just, I mean, you know, I, here's what I love about what I do. I get to meet the most amazing individuals. Here is uh, one of the smartest guys I know, very accomplished in his field, does incredible work heading up the Judge Baker Center. And, you know, he could have written a clinical book, you know, on, on, working with families, but he chose to write a book that's straight from the heart, but yet blends his years of experience in working with families. And what what a combination. So in the book, and I hope you'll give it a read, uh, it, it just gives real practical advice, but that advice is given through the through the lens of love and appreciation and respect for all members of any family. Really nicely, nicely done. All right, so there you go. This is the Optimistic Advocate, Scott Bryant Comstock, signing off. See ya. <laughs>